that was a, I didn't recognize who he was talking about there. I think they put him to introduce me, to spare him from being a sermon example, being that he put me on the hot seat during a theological conversation yesterday. And you have more than made up the gap. Would you go with me to the book of Amos? While you're looking for the book of Amos, which is not an often read book, chapter 5, I want to repeat to you what I began on Wednesday. In many ways, this is a continuation of that. I want to thank the religion department for inviting me and hosting me and welcoming me and feeding me and, and working me to the bone. All of those things have been wonderful. And you're, you have a wonderful staff and a wonderful, wonderful department that has nothing to envy anyone or any school. So I salute you to this morning. Thank you to Dr. Corliss McGee and my dear friend Dr. Corey McPherson and his wife Edie, who is a great cook and a great friend and a, a sharp mind uh, that I think um, helped Corey on his journey called Christianity. <laughs> In absentia, I want to thank my wife. I've been away all week. Uh, on Monday I was lecturing at Houghton and then all week here. And I talked to my wife, and I have two small children. And the only reason I'm able to be here is because my wife has the gift of grace and the gift of mercy and the gift of generosity. And what I want to remind you is anytime you have a woman or a man speaking here, if they're married, the great sacrifice and offering that their family is giving, that they offer up their husband or their wife or uh, their significant child or brother, that... If someone stands here, it's because many people make it possible. So I want to thank my wife, Jeanette, and my sons, John Gabriel and Seth, whom I miss dearly. So if you see me run after chapel, it's because I have a flight immediately after. And as much as I love you, I miss my children and my wife, and I want to be with them. So I hope that you would excuse me, because I have to be in Logan before noon. Are you in Amos 5? I begin here by saying what I said to you on Wednesday, that I started an organization, it is a group of one. How many of you remember the name of the organization? It's Hopeful Nazarenes. And I'm inviting all of you to join. And if you're not a Nazarene, I want to tell you that we have affiliates throughout the country, Hopeful Baptists, and Hopeful Pentecostals, and Hopeful Non-Denominationals which is the new denomination, I want to tell you that, that you're welcome to be part of this. Because I do suffer from a disease called incurable optimism. The theological term is hope. So when, when I was invited to talk about holiness, I, I said, well, let me talk about holiness as a calling and as a hope. So when you hear these words, it may not sound hopeful, but give it time, give it time. Amos 5, 21. I hate and despise your religious feast. Really, I, I, I can't stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me nice songs and grain offerings, I, I, I can't accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I don't have any regard for them. 
Why don't you put away the noise of your songs? I won't listen to the music of your harps unless justice rolls on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. The word of the Lord. I said on Wednesday, and I want to continue today, that I am concerned only about one thing. That we have given holiness a short shrift. We have what I want to call a myopic holiness. And that I come to the topic of holiness, or holiness comes to me as a hybrid, as a mestizo, as a Jersey Rican, as a second generation Latino living in the coast of the United States. I embrace my hybridity. I embrace all the multiple identities that I inhabit, that I was born in New Jersey raised of Puerto Rican parents, went to Rutgers University, trained at Princeton Seminary and Union Theological Seminary, raised in the Pentecostal Holiness Movement, trained and pastoring in a Nazarene church, which is part of the Wesleyan tradition, that, that all of those things formed me, or deformed me, or reformed me, based on their impact. That I understand that life in our century and in our time, like in any time, is complicated, it's complex, it's nuanced, that it has layers, that it has dimensions. So when I speak about holiness, what I'm speaking about is a hybrid holiness, an integrated holiness, a holistic holiness. And one of my concerns was that we have accented extremes without trying to embrace the totality of holiness. On the one side, some people told us that holiness is only about the devotional life. That holiness is only about prayer. That holiness is only about fasting. That holiness is only about living in personal integrity and character and moral integrity. And usually, let's be honest, the focus is on, for young people, sexuality. And I want to tell you that this is a good focus. I want to tell you that this is an important dimension of holiness. That God calls us, you and me, to personal integrity, to moral character, to living upright lives, to be persons of our word, to be persons of honest relationships, to keep ourselves in sexual purity. What I want to tell you is, that although I'm young and young-looking, unlike Dr. McPherson, That I embrace that. That there's nothing wrong with challenging people to be what God wants them to be. That there's nothing wrong with saying that holiness is a calling. That God is calling you, young people, and board of trustees, and faculty, and staff, and administration, to personal integrity, to intellectual integrity, to moral integrity. I want to say that I don't want to throw that away. I'm a father of two young boys. I don't want to throw that away. I'm a teacher in a church. I don't want to throw that away. I say yes to that. But not only that. That it's not okay to say you have personal integrity but no social transformation. That that is not the understanding of holiness. That that's a myopic understanding of holiness. I tell you this morning what I told you on Wednesday. You don't have to choose between personal integrity and social holiness. 
and anybody who tries to force you to choose between the two is suffering, let me just prove that I've read some books, between platonic Manichaean dualisms. Between bifurcated understandings of holiness, to use psychological terms, schizophrenic understandings of holiness. And that's not who we are. We're integrated people. We're holistic people. We're complete people. So yes, hold on to that personal integrity. Yes, hold on to that Christ-likeness. But that Christ-likeness, if it turns into a religious service that doesn't care about anything or anybody, that doesn't care about the poor, the hungry, the needy, the three protected classes in the Old Testament, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. They were protected in the Old Testament. The widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. Over and over in, in the Torah, in the Navim, and the Ketuvim, in the law, and the prophets, and the writings, God said to the nation, you will be judged based on not how you sing songs, not whether you know the hymns from the first one to the last one, but on how you treat the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. That Jesus was not playing around in Matthew 25 when people said to him, But Jesus, we had this dimension of holiness. We prayed for the sick and they were healed. In your name we cast out demons. And Jesus says in that famous pericope of Matthew 25, which ironically those translators of the King James Version put on top of it, the judgment of the nations. He said to them, I don't know you because I was hungry. And you did not feed me. I was naked. And you did not clothe me. I was a convict. And you did not visit me in prison. I was an immigrant. And you did not welcome me. I don't know you. What I want to tell you church. Not the church of tomorrow. But the church of today. What I want to tell you is that I've heard you scream over and over. We're tired of myopic understandings of holiness. And we want the whole thing. Say with me, we want the whole thing. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Let's try that again. We want the whole thing. Yes, we want personal integrity. Yes, we want relational integrity. But we believe that if holiness is, by definition, participating in the life and in the projects of God, if holiness is Christ-likeness in His life and in the projects of God for shalom in the world, we don't have to choose. We reject the dualisms. We say that holiness is not just a calling, it is a power. Holiness is not just calling you to a certain lifestyle and relationship. It gives you the power to live it out. I don't, want a holy, I don't want a calling without the power to live out that calling. Thank God for the Holy Spirit who works in us and through us and sometimes despite us. I want to tell you this morning that I am a hopeful Nazarene because I believe that this church is not my church. And it's not the church of the generation before me and it won't be owned by the church for the generation after me. This is God's church. And because it is God's church, we have hope because God protects what is God's. And there will be holiness for a long time. But this holiness that you all embrace, this holiness that you stopped me in the halls this week, this holiness that while you were trying to feed me unhealthy food, 
you know who you are. <laughs> the religion department, half of them were vegetarians. I was impressed. I said, I'm not there yet, but Lord help me. You know, I'm Puerto Rican. Yeah. It takes, it's a deep work of the Holy Spirit for that entire sanctification. You don't have to choose. You're called. And God, in the book of Amos, the shepherd from Tekoa, you know what he was upset at? You know why he was disappointed? Because like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, they were teachers of the law, and they still had not entered the kingdom of heaven. How is it that you being teachers of the law have not yet entered the kingdom and Nicodemus says to Jesus, we perceive that you're a teacher that comes from God because no one can speak with the authority that you speak. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How is it that I live the holiness life? And Jesus says to Nick at night, he says to him, you must be born again. You know what I find fascinating about that? Nick was an elder in the Church of the Nazarene. Nick was a professor at Eastern Nazarene College. Nick was the chairman of the board, or chairwoman of the board of trustees. What I find fascinating is that Nick had a PhD in religious life. And Jesus, this carpenter's son, said to him, You don't get it? You only understand one dimension of the religious life, of the ritual, which has its purpose, which has its function. He was not denying it. What he was saying is, hey, you, you who go to church, you who know the manual or your book of order, depending on what tradition you are, how is it that you cannot see the kingdom of God? You can't perceive it. Anybody seen that movie where the famous phrase is, you can't see me? What's that movie? Avatar. Right? Avatar? Everybody seen Avatar? And, and, and the famous phrase is, I see you. Right. Let me help some of the young men here. Perhaps they haven't. You, you watch wrestling, John Cena? You can't see me? <laughs> just, just trying to, you know, if I can quote Hegel and Heidegger, I can quote John Cena. <laughs> I'm embracing my hybridity. What Jesus was telling Nicodemus, what he's telling you, what he's telling me, Nicodemus is me, the pastor, who thinks he knows the scriptures. He says, how is it that you know all of this and you still can't see the kingdom of God? He's not talking about a place, he's talking about the kingdom of God in the hearts of women and men. He's talking about the holiness lifestyle. That you can be on the outskirts and not, and, and then Jesus says, unless you're born again, you cannot enter. Fascinatingly, John the theologian puts John chapter 4 right next to John chapter 3, intentionally critiquing Nicodemus with an unnamed Samaritan woman who had six husbands, probably because they all died at a young age. That's a common thing in those days. And in that almost throwaway phrase, John uh, writes that, that in parentheses, after Jesus asked her to drink, 
when she said, you being a Jew, ask me a Samaritan to drink water, in parentheses comes the critique of John the theologian. Because in those days, Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. In those days, undocumented immigrants were treated poorly. In those days, black people could be my brother in Christ, but not my brother-in-law. In those days, men were thought as superior to women. In those days, your honor and value in life was valued by how much money you make rather than that you are loved unconditionally by God. In those days, people did not see the entire kingdom. So this morning, the next time you sing, Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Ask yourself how you treat people. Holiness, holiness is what you want from me. Ask yourself what you do with your money. Ask yourself how's your thought life. Ask yourself the next time, are we Nicodemus, whom God says, I despise your religious rituals because you have not understood both the life and the project of God. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to choose. And don't let anybody tell you different. For when the gospel comes and Christ comes to you, it comes to all of you. Your relationships, your finances, your character, your sexuality, your speech. When Dr. Barker, Professor Barker introduced me, he forgot to mention something. So let me tell you a little bit of my biography that most people don't know. Yeah, I work at Princeton. That's nice. I'm the pastor of a wonderful church in Manhattan, the Lamb's Church of the Nazarene, and that's fantastic. But I'm the son of a homeless man. That's what I am. Who was a heroin junkie. Whom, when he went to certain churches, one pastor said to him, once a junkie, always a junkie. How is it that you being a teacher cannot perceive the power of holiness to transform people and structures? But Christ arrested him, redeemed him, transformed him, and he became my father, my pastor, my mentor, my best friend. I preach about the power of holiness because I've lived the power of holiness. It's changed my life personally. My father, now he's 62 years young, he says to me, Gabriel, or as Dr. McPherson says, Gabriel. <laughs> Wherever you go, tell people that there's power in this gospel. That either holiness has the power to transform individuals, systems, societies, or we're wasting our time. For holiness is not just a calling. It is a river. Let the river of God flow like a never-ending stream. I want to tell you this holiness stuff works. This is not a game. It has changed my family and my life. It is God's courage in your life to live the life and participate in the projects of God in history.
So, a few years ago, I wrote an op-ed piece about why Wesleyans and people in the Wesleyan tradition should welcome the stranger. I wrote it in the Trenton Times. And a few days after it was in the Ed page, I got a letter in my office at Princeton. It was a 12-page letter. Somebody had time. <laughs> and there were letters cut out, big letters, big letters. You know, newspaper letters cut out. It was addressed to my office, and obviously they knew who I was, the Reverend Gabriel Blow Your Horn Saguero. 20 Library Place, Princeton, New Jersey. And I was concerned because it didn't have a stamp on it. Somebody actually delivered it to the building. At the end of these 12, maybe it was more, maybe it was 16, I don't know, it was a lot of pages. There was a picture of me. I don't know how the person got it. And in that picture, I was beheaded. And I got scared. I wish I could tell you I felt the courage of the Spirit of the Lord. I was afraid. My biggest fear is that at that time, my four-year-old son was at daycare a mile away from my office. And somebody knew where I worked. And I was concerned they might know where my son is. So I called security, seminary security, university security, Princeton Township security. And they, we had to go to the daycare center. It's called Dupree Daycare Center at Princeton Seminary. Escorted. And how do you explain to your four-year-old son that you're being escorted by police and he, for a month he had to be escorted to and from daycare? Tell me, how do you explain that to a four-year-old kid? Because I don't know. I was struggling. I, I called my wife. My wife was panicking. And I went to pick up my son. And I said, you know, give me the words, God. Tell something. Nothing. I put my son in the car seat. And we're escorted to Route 1 north, up to it. I live in Newark. While I'm thinking of what to talk about, my son says, Daddy, did we do something good? And God gave me the words through the life and the mouth of my son. A little child shall lead us. And you know what I discovered? That holiness is not just about me going to church, sitting in a pew. And that's certainly necessary to build the community of the saints. But it's about participating in the life and the sufferings and the projects of God in the world. And that God who called us is faithful to give us the power to do exceedingly abundantly more than what you ask or what you think. So this morning, let me say something to the Nazarene community. We're in an incredible economic crisis. We are in tough times indeed. 
But we come from a tradition that has seen tough, tough times before. We know what it's like. And we can see this crisis as just danger. But God tells you this is an opportunity to follow God into wholeness and holiness. To put the priorities of God at front and center of this college and front and center of your relationships and front and center of your marriage and front and center of your singleness and front and center of your elderliness or youthfulness. That in the midst of this crisis, like Amos, like Joel, like the Pentecost church in the first century, holiness, the power to participate in the life and the projects of God will sustain us. So, I'm starting a group. It's called Hopeful Nazarenes. Do you believe that same spirit that sustained the early church to do great things and 11 men and not few women changed the world with little resources because they participated in the life and the projects of God in history? Would you pray with me? You don't have to choose. I want to pray with people today, and I don't know if we, how often we do altar calls at EMC, but if not now, when? If not, we who? And whether you're a first-year freshman, a tenured faculty person, a chairperson of the Board of Trustees, an administrator, a staff person, somebody who cleans, a senior from... Young residence hall, whoever you are, will you be born again? Perhaps this crisis is God's Spirit telling the Church of the Nazarene, will you be born again? I'm not calling you to salvation. You may have already made that decision. I'm calling you to reconsider if you've missed integrated holiness. If you've ignored one of these dimensions. If you have failed to understand entire sanctification. In the social and the personal. In the intellectual and the relational. I ask you Nicodemus. Will you be born again? And if you will. Would you come pray with me? Holy 